So as um, Dylan has said, I am going to be in Acts chapter 3, um, looking at verses 1 through 11. Um, in this section of scripture, we'll be looking at the healing of a lame man who was laid outside the gate of the temple, known as the beautiful gate. Before we get into the text, it would be helpful for us to understand how we've arrived to this point. Acts is written by Luke, who is recording what is going on in the early church after the resurrection of Jesus. After Christ's resurrection, he was teaching the apostles all things in Scripture that was pointing to his life, his death, his resurrection, and him being the once and for all sacrifice and atonement for sin. Preparing his disciples for the Great Commission to go out, preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, Jews and Gentiles. After this, Jesus, just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples to return to Jerusalem and await the Holy Spirit, where they will be called, according to the Spirit, to be witnesses to Jews and Gentiles to have faith and place their trust in Jesus. The day of Pentecost comes where the Spirit indwells the disciples, which leads to what we know as the first Christian sermon where Peter explains what the crowd is witnessing and by what power they are doing these things. After Pentecost, we get a glimpse of what the early believers, the early church, were doing. They were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, daily gathering for the breaking of bread, praying together, and tending to one another's needs. Luke records that day by day, the numbers of believers were growing through the teaching of the gospel, and that early believers were essentially inseparable from one another. Luke records that many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles and how God had been grown the church in numbers through these events. What they faced was persecution, resistance, and needing to rely on God's power to sustain them for the work that was given to them. Now, bringing us to our text, if you have not done so already, please turn to Acts chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as the John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive from th- something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people who saw him walking and praising God recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. I guess it is a little odd that we are back-to-back weeks looking at a historical event of healing. Since Pastor John's not here, I figured we could finally have the healing sign and wonders service that Dylan and I had been so asking for. I'm joking. Don't get your hopes up, Renee. And don't tear your clothes and scream blasphemy at me. What I do hope we take away from the text is not that God performs miracles, although that is true. That he does not just perform miracles through sign and wonders, but how Christ and through him we have been extended and invited as God's own children to enjoy in the riches we have in him. For this section of scripture, I've separated the verses into three parts. You'll see in your bulletins, those three parts are first, lame from birth, secondly, something better, and thirdly, truly alive. In verse 1, we're told that Peter and John are going up to the temple during the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. We should be aware that this does not mean that the early believers were partaking of the ritual ceremonial rites of the temple. The hour of prayer typically followed the evening sacrifice. Remember the time Jesus spent with the disciples teaching them all things pertaining to himself and the scriptures? Well, prior to his ascension, he likely instructed them to teach those at the temple of the one and only sacrifice able to save them from sin, wrath, and God's eternal judgment. That the sacrificial system was pointing to the Lamb of God. Additionally, just before this section in Acts 2, Luke has already informed us that the early church, while gathering together in each other's homes, they regularly went to the temple together to pray and offer worship to God. This isn't an argument also for those who have been converted to the Christian faith to continue in worship in another house of worship, either a mosque, a synagogue, a mandir, or something else. There are simply, they are simply following the command of Christ prior to his ascension, going to teach all that he has commanded them to all nations, Jews and Gentiles. This is meant to include the Jews as well as all through the end of the earth. Let us now set our signs, sights on the man, bringing us to our first point, lame from birth. We are told that this man was lame for birth, so that means no first steps, no physical milestones. Picture this, when you see a child take their first steps, whether it be your child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew, it was exciting. It is exciting. Frankly, this excitement or joy is not restricted to family or friend relationships. I see it now even with Caleb. Strangers have this sense of excitement or an awe when he takes his little steps. They say, awe, how sweet, either verbally or with some gesture with their hands over their hearts or some little twinkle in their eyes, right as he runs to go play in traffic. Well, this man of 40 years did not get any of that. His parents or family or caretakers got zero satisfaction of his first steps. 
It is important to point this out because this is not some condition that he needed some treatment or medicine. His legs are dead. The lame man needed three things to be given to him all his life. Compassion, patience, and to be attended to or someone having noticed him. We see his needs of these three things as he's carried and was laid daily at the gate of the temple where he would ask for alms. This man simply needed to be supported. That was his ask. He had no hope for anything more than this. At least that is what he thought. What else do we know about this man? Well, he is also resourceful. He was there during the hour of prayer because during this time, it made sense to be there. It was high traffic. When people went to offer their sacrifices and pray, it would be the best time and location for him to ask for money. Notice that his lameness also contributes to where he is laid daily. He is being laid outside the temple. This man was an outcast. The temple represented the presence of God, and he knew it also, so he was on the outside. Being laid at the gate of the temple was significant because he was excluded from community, excluded from fellowship from those within the temple and society at large. This man is lame. He is a burden on others. Even as people give him his ask, money, to support his condition, he is still viewed as a burden upon them, likely, even in their generosity. Remember the question asked to Jesus by the disciples in John 9 regarding the blind man? The disciples asked whose sin was responsible for this man being blind from birth. Was it his sin or his parents' sin? This would have been the same thought regarding the lame man. He would have been seen as unclean, either responsible for his physical state or unclean by association with sinners and deserving of this judgment. Being laid daily at the gate, I would like to imagine he recognized Peter and John. While this is not important whether he does or does not, the man sees Peter and John and asks to be healed, right? No, of course not. He has no hope of healing. This man just needed to get by day by day. So he asks, as he always does, for some spare change. This man was good at this. This was all he had done his whole life. Doing it day by day, of course, he would only think of his greatest need of being physically supported. Is that not who we were once apart from Christ? Our greatest need, we thought, was to ourselves something far different than Christ intended for us? The scriptures is clear of our being spiritually lame, might I say spiritually dead, before the Spirit himself convicts us of our sinfulness through the law, and that we receive faith from God by his grace to believe in Christ. Don't we receive something better than what our initial ask was or what we thought we needed? Let's continue now into the text, what this something better is, looking at our second section. Peter and John both see this man and notices his need. So they look upon this man and state, look at us. 
I don't know how he said it. But with Peter's zeal, chopping off an ear, and wanting to grab this man's attention, we can deduce this was spoken with some conviction. Also, Peter, knowing what God would do next, he did not call upon this man sheepishly. The lame man turned to them, expecting to receive alms. This had been his experience every single time someone likely engaged with him or spoke to him. So his heart leaps up in anticipation because his legs can't. Peter then says, Psych! (laughs) Peter says, I have no gold, no silver, no gold. But what I do have, I give to you. Before we get to what he gave him, do you see the little tongue-in-cheek comment here? Starting with, I have no riches. Peter is stating, I cannot help you in your poverty because I might as well be next to you. I have no money. What should we take from this? That Peter had money and did not want to give it? No. That Peter did not have money but wanted to give him something better? Sure. At face value, when Peter says he did not have any silver or gold, he says that because he would have gladly given him his ask. But he did not have any silver or gold. What we should not miss, though, is the fact that Peter is also saying, I have something greater than that. And it is everything that I hold dear to me. I give you Jesus, who I also have and can freely offer. And it is in his name that you rise up and walk. Taking him by the hand, this man is immediately healed. His feet and ankles were made strong. This is pretty spectacular. I can appreciate this. I had a torn Achilles two years ago. I had not walked for four to five months on my own two feet without some type of aid. And after that, I spent another five months in rehab. The first thing I had to do was gait training, learning how to walk again, rightly. It was important that I walked with proper balance and weight on both my legs, that I worked the right muscles and that I was doing them in an even manner. I needed to build back strength, not just in my feet, but my entire leg up through my hips. I just had to be trained to walk and stand with even balance. This man needed none of that. I know it says his legs were made strong, but understand this, his entire body needed restoration. His brain sent signals to his legs to move. His muscles had to respond. And also, he needed a heart to do so. See, this man not only received the healing to his body, but he had received the faith to be taken by the hand and get up. He did not brush Peter's hand away and say, stop being cruel. No, he allowed him to picking up by his hand. He believed that the words that came out of Peter's mouth allowed him to walk. And by doing so, everything else was added. We see that in verse 16, it is clear, and it's not just my guess, that this man had received faith. And by faith only 
Through Jesus is he in perfect health. Remember, this man had been asking to be shown compassion, that he would be endured with patiently, and that he would be noticed or attended to. However, he had no idea what he should be asking for. But when he heard the name of Jesus, he knew what he received was something far better than he could have ever imagined or hoped or willed himself to seek after. Was he in complete knowledge of all things pertaining to God? Did he understand a hypostatic union of Jesus being fully man and fully God? Probably not. But he received the essential, most important thing, the gift of faith that is necessary for salvation. The name of Jesus being called is not some magical word or special incantation that makes the miracle take place. Peter is simply establishing who is doing this, by what power. It is only through Jesus that this man is healed, that this man is restored. In verses 12 and 13 of the same chapter, Peter states it was not his power or piety that caused this man to walk, but it was the power of the crucified, now resurrected Jesus who made this happen. I said the man knew what he really received because remember who he is or where he was. He had been laid at the gate daily, temple year after year, month after month, day after day. He would have seen Jesus as he made his way to the temple. He would have heard the stories of Jesus healing others, that how he claimed to have the power to forgive sins. He would have heard and known of the time where Jesus flipped tables. He would have heard of Jesus being crucified, him being laid in the tomb, and then rising from the dead. This man knew far more of what it meant to have the name of Jesus, or Jesus himself, find favor upon him, because he himself was an outcast. Don't we also know what it means to be immediately restored? Has not Christ spoken his favor on calling us his own? Are we not positionally perfect before God in our justification? Does not our justification look just like this man's? Is not our lameness our need for something better, what we actually truly needed? We, just like this man, know exactly what it means to be a recipient of a compassionate, patient, and attentive Jesus. The next section of the text we see unfolding is that how this man is now truly alive. After being healed, this man does three good things. First, he is attaching himself to the apostles while entering the temple. Secondly, he immediately uses what God has given him. Third and lastly, he is praising and worshiping God. We can look at each of these three acts and talk about orthodoxy, right knowing, orthopraxy, right action, and orthopathy, right desires. Looking at the first thing this man did, staying with the apostles and entering the temple. Later in verse 11, we're told that he clung to Peter and John. We know that this is not for physical support because he was running, jumping, walking, standing on his own two feet. So what is so good about him remaining with the apostles? 
Well, after receiving the use of his legs, for the first time ever, he could have done several different things. One of those things is he could have left. He could have been so excited of his healing that he wanted to go tell his family or others who knew him that he separated himself from Peter and John to go do this. Rather, he stayed close. Because the greatest thing he had received came from these men. And it might seem like it was his legs, but the greatest gift he received was the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the favor of God. These men had been with Jesus, so there, this is where he wanted to be also. By remaining with them, did he not benefit from hearing more of who Jesus is? Peter goes on following this event to preach the risen Christ in verses 12 through 26. Can we really get too much of Jesus? Second good thing was using what he was given. This man could now enjoy life like he had never done before. He no longer had to be carried, no longer had to be laid at the gate, or whatever else. There is something good about desiring to know right doctrine, but rightly knowing who God is and what he has done should always lead to us being active in what we have been given. Imagine this man had been healed, and sometime shortly after, he still lived like a lame man. That he was carried, he sat outside the temple, begging, not using what he had been given. Knowing his legs work, but choosing not to act on what he knows. When we struggle to live out of our position as being justified by God, we are forgetting the gift that we have been given. Remember Romans 8, 38 to 39, reminds us that death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, or anything else in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Or how about John 10, chapter, uh, verses 28 to 29, where Jesus talks about us having been given eternal life, and we will never perish And no one can be snatched out of Jesus' hand, nor the Father's hand, because they are one. Does these truths stir you up to live out of your justification? I hope it does. You know what he could do now more robustly? He could give people the greatest treasure he now possessed, bringing us to the third good thing. By responding in praise and worship to God. He could point them to God who not only healed his body, but the one who restores those who are broken and weak to have fellowship and intimacy with God. He could now serve those who had been provided the compassion that is needed, who dealt with him patiently, and those who were attentive to his physical needs By offering those same things to their spiritual needs. Do you see the compassion, patience, and attentiveness that not only God does heal him, but he gives this restored man the ability to offer worship and praise to himself? I am speaking to you all who are in Christ. You have been called by God to share your greatest treasure with poor broken souls. Other believers, you have been called by God to share your greatest treasure with God-hating souls, unbelievers. 
And we do this from a position of our own lameness and our own inability to boast in ourselves or any righteous work that we may have done. But all look to Jesus and his righteousness, his righteous deeds, his rejection and his suffering, his lameness in our place, his conquering of sin and death. We who have been made truly alive, can you think back to a time that the gospel was something that you could not get enough of? As we wrap up and we ask ourselves, where do we go from here? Do we struggle to remember our first joy and then repent and seek to then live out of it? Maybe I'm speaking for myself here alone, but I quickly forget my lameness has been born by Christ. We get a good dosage of Isaiah 53 around Easter time, and I'll turn there. And I'll be looking specifically at verses 1 through 5. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Hear how Jesus has become lame for us. How quickly do we forget Christ's compassion for us, that he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows? Looking at Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." The man who was healed did not need physical healing. He needed compassion that Christ could identify with him. He needed Jesus to patiently endure with him by taking his sinfulness upon himself, receive the just wrath of God for sin. He needed Christ's attentiveness that he would see him and give him the gift of faith. We are this lame man. But our older brother Jesus has become lame for us, that we 
might, as our brother Paul reminds us, that we have and can enjoy the boundless, that is, unsearchable riches of being in Christ. This simply means the vast riches of Christ that we possess can never be exhausted. Now, how do we enjoy these riches? Does he not give us one another that we might carry one another's burdens, that we might tend and love one another just as the early church had done? Does he not give us his word that serves as our source for spiritual nourishment and encouragement? Even greater, does he not also give us his own self by the indwelling of his spirit? Does Jesus notice us? Did Jesus, Jesus notice this man and ignore him all the years? And that's why he was not healed? To steal Paul's words? By no means. Christ noticed this man long before this man was laid at the gate for the first or even last time. He knew this man before the foundation of the world. And he knew you then also and has called you his own. God's Grace Bible Church, if Jesus were here right now in body and asked you as he sat right next to you, my child, what is it you want of me? What is on your list? Jesus, my finances are a mess. My marriage is broken. I need a job. Help me with my child. They face a difficult circumstance. Help me with this ailment. Jesus, no one notices me and takes me for granted. You know what we should be crying out? Jesus, I need you and I need more of you. I need to know how inclined your heart is towards me. I need to remember that I am not my own, but I belong to you. Help me to see you as the greatest treasure of my life. That I might live in joy in spite of my circumstances. Help me to cling closely to you, remembering that it is you who has clung on to me and will never let me go. You know what we should be offering one another? Jesus. We should be gospelizing one another, not when we have some terrible calamity looming. Rather, we should be doing it always. We should be engaged in the care and love for one another, just as the early church had been doing as the Spirit worked in and through their lives. And we should remember and be encouraged that this is all done from a position of done. For men's Bible study, we were in Revelation 21. And I think verses 3 to 6 are a helpful reminder. In Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The it is done. We learn that God says it has already happened. Because he has declared it to be so. When it says it's trustworthy and true, it's ironclad. God does not change. He is the same always. Now, I've been speaking this whole time to the believer. Now I make my call and appeal to you who have not believed in Jesus. The gospel offer is made to you. Turn to Jesus to be saved. Bring all your sin and shame and lay it at the feet, at the cross of Jesus. And in turning to him, he shall give you, give you your greatest need, his own self. I will close with these last words from a hymn titled, Weary of Wandering from My God, written by Charles Wesley. Weary of wandering from my God, and now made willing to return. I hear and bow me to the rod, for thee not without hope I mourn. I have an advocate above, a friend before the throne of love. O Jesus, full of truth and grace, more full of grace than I of sin. Yet once again I seek thy face, open thine arms and take me in. And freely my backslidings heal, and love the faithful sinner still. Thou knowest the way to bring me back, my fallen spirit to restore. O for thy truth and mercy's sake, forgive me and bid me sin no more. The ruins of my soul repair and make my house a heart of prayer.